You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. to the Hoisty Colors Podcast. I am Stephen Igo, the host, as always, of the podcast, the publisher of HoistyColors.net. A lot to discuss. And we've got football, we've got baseball, we've got basketball, and we have our second Port of Call segment where we welcome in a member of the Hoisty Colors community. We'll cap the show with that as Pirate Bagger. One of our favorite posters, one of uh, many people's favorite posters on the Hoist of Colors message board, former high school coach uh, that offers great insight on the game, the X's and O's, and more as a big ECU supporter. So we'll have him at the end of the show. He'll kind of introduce himself, and it'll be the second straight week we've had a Hoist of Colors member hop on our Port of Call segment. That's what we're going to be calling it, thanks to the idea of Butner Pirate. Last week, he was our first on the unofficial port of call segment. But first, we're going to start the show with some football talk. We will talk about, of course, East Carolina's 4 and one week on the diamond here in a little bit. Uh, major positive to take away from that. Of course, a little bittersweet not finishing the sweep on Sunday against Virginia Commonwealth. But still, 4-1 and one in five games, you take it. Obviously, you get a little greedy going into Sunday 4-0. and oh, So I'm sure the team's a little disappointed with that. But we'll hit on that in a minute. Let's start first with football and the Pirates have now conducted their first spring scrimmage of camp. And I just wanted to share some thoughts on what we've seen thus far. Now, let's see if I can count the days correctly. Five, six, I'm doing this on the fly, so bear with me here. Five, six, seven, eight. So that was the eighth day of spring practice on Saturday. And their first official spring scrimmage inside Dowdy Ficklin Stadium. Of course, they practiced last week. Inside Daddy Ficklin Stadium, but this is their first full-fledged scrimmage. Got to see about 30 minutes of it, and I'm going to share with you three main takeaways thus far early in spring practice by the CCU football team from my perspective. And granted, and I tell you guys this all the time, we don't get to see a lot of the team-on-team stuff. So what I'm sharing is what I've seen with my own eyes and what I've heard from sources around the team. Um, so just a little bit of everything there, but I will share with you three big takeaways thus far from spring football. First, a little bit on the scrimmage. Again, we got to see about 30 minutes of it. I thought there, you know, was some definite, you know, ups and downs. We, we basically got to see the second and third teams. The first team, Holt Naylor's obviously the starting quarterback played about two series, led the offense to a pair of field goals in that time and was taken out. And we've talked about it all along that this was going to be a spring in which Holt Naylor's reps were severely limited because we know what we have in Holt Naylor's. And I think the coaching staff knows what they have and sure you want to keep them crisp, but you also want to prepare the rest of the guys on the roster 
not only did you have bowl practices to you know continue to bring some of the the younger guys along, but now this spring with so many returning guys is critical for the future of the program just to get them ready. So it was a solid day for the offense, but I would say, and even overall, but I thought the defense probably won the day. And you you hear it all the time. The defense first scrimmage usually ahead of the offense, and I think this was the case. Just from what I saw and heard on Saturday, yeah, the offense hit some big plays. Keaton Mitchell had a nice uh, run after the catch. Uh, Holton Aylers made a couple of nice plays. The running backs made some plays. Mason Garcia hit a big pass to Joseph McKay. Actually, it was uh, Garcia that hit Keaton Mitchell on the uh, the pass that led to a nice catch and run. And so there were some good plays by the first, second, and third string offense. But really, the defense, I thought, bottled up the run pretty well from what I saw. The statistics bear that out as well and uh, was a major uh, major plus for the defense. They got a scoop and score as well late in the scrimmage. So just I thought the defense played well. And again, we'll get more into that. With my three takeaways from the spring, but Mike Houston was happy. No big injuries that we know about uh, coming out of the scrimmage, which is always a positive. It does look like Jordan Huff, the Juco transfer of safety, is going to miss significant time, maybe the whole season with the knee injury suffered on the first day of spring practice. But thus far, the team has been able to stay relatively healthy, which is always good uh, early on. All right, let's get into this. Three takeaways for spring practice thus far. We're basically about halfway through, eight practices into a 15 practice spring we'll start with number one the trenches and yeah this is like the easy thing to to say the trenches are looking good the offensive line's looking improved the defensive line is looking deep but I mean it really really this this is the deepest defensive line I've covered probably ever certainly since early in the rough McNeil era you know I did not cover the Skip Holtz era teams and it goes without saying that those defensive lines, those starting defensive lines, are probably the best in ECU history, at least the starting four. But this group immediately on paper just jumps out in terms of its depth. I mean, three deep. We're talking about guys like Sarad Ware and Deontay Johnson running with the third team at times, Xavier McIver running with the third team at defensive tackle. This interior defensive line has a chance to be special and has a chance to go six, seven, eight deep. I mean, it's... You've got Elijah Morris returning. He's a two-year starter. Rick DeBray, uh, Rick DeBrew is returning. He's a two-year starter. You add an All-American from the FCS level in CJ uh, CJ Mims' brother, Chandre Mims. Chandre Mims from Charleston Southern comes in. Uh, they add a freshman in J.D. Lampley, who they're incredibly high on. He's already getting second-team reps. He was a highly recruited kid. And then you also return the likes of Sarad Ware who ranked near the top of the team in sacks last year as a freshman. Xavier McIver, who's a run-stuffing nose tackle. Deontay Johnson, who's also got tremendous size and burst on the interior. Even Javian McCray, he hasn't played as much as the other guys, but has as much athletic ability as anybody in the room. I mean, you're looking at eight deep at the defensive line interior position. Uh, then Jeremy Lewis, of course, on the edge. Kind of a hybrid linebacker, defensive end role, but he's had a really good spring. And then Jack Powers, the Nevada transfer, has played uh, really well thus far early in camp. And then on the other side of defensive end, I think you have two potential starters in Emmanuel Hickman and Chad Stevens. And Emmanuel Hickman played a lot last year, but I think Chad Stevens has made enough strides to where he could be a potential starter as well. So, you know, edge not as deep as defensive tackle, but a defensive line looking really stout. And you've got some other young guys coming along as well. Offensive line, you know, the most encouraging thing to me is, you know, 
the the first string offensive line looks really good right now. I mean, really good. And there is a significant drop off at this moment to the second team offensive line, but that is primarily because you've got two guys out with injury, Bailey Malavik and Rob Vanderlin, two tackles who have a significant experience, especially Malavik, that are expected to be back by the summer, could be in or too deep. And then you got two guys coming in from the transfer ranks, Justin Red, an All American for the FCS level from Norfolk State, and then Ben Johnson from Marist, an all-conference guy. Those are four more linemen you're adding to what's already a strong five in your starting group, plus really a six or seven guys that you you feel good about right now because the starting offensive line um, at times does not include West Virginia transfer Parker Moore because him and Walt Stribling are switching off at left tackle right now. So you feel good about those top six for sure. Um, you got some other young guys coming along as well, but you, you add the four guys coming back to that top six, all of a sudden you have 10 offensive linemen that you feel really good about. And now we know based on the history of the position, how physical it is. There are going to be guys that go down both on the offensive and defensive lines, but this I feel like is the first time, the first year where even if that happens, let's say you lose one, two, three guys, significant time you feel pretty good that there's not going to be that massive drop-off that maybe you experienced in the past. So I feel really good about the trenches right now. For sure the best I've felt during the Mike Houston era as we enter year four. All right, number two, you know, I'm comfortable with Holt Naylor's as a starter. Seven games last year, made some huge throws down the stretch. I don't think there's any question he's going to be your starting quarterback. But one of the biggest things was watching the backups and the development, especially with the increased time as we talked about earlier that they would get this offseason. So my number two takeaway thus far is how much improved Mason Garcia, and not only Mason Garcia, but Ryan Stubblefield look as the Pirates' backup quarterbacks. Now, I have seen more Garcia than Stubblefield, but I have heard rave reviews from what Stubblefield is doing, primarily as a third-string guy. Garcia, I think, will be the backup for obvious reasons. He's got the most upside of any quarterback in the program due to his physical nature, but as I watched this past weekend scrimmage, it was one of the first times I saw Mason look incredibly, you know, poised in the pocket, not panicked. And there were there were times he still got sped up. Look, he's still a work in progress, but he's definitely starting to get it. And I think he at times still maybe struggles with uh, the, the plays and reading defenses, which has always been kind of the thing that's held him back. But luckily, with Holton Aylers coming back, it's given him ample time to learn. And it's given him this spring to really work at it. But I thought he did as good of a job this past weekend in the scrimmage, going through his progressions, making plays on the run when his first read wasn't there, uh, that, that I've seen. And I think that progression is is vital for the future of this program. Again, we know what Holton Aylers is. He's been a starter now for, what, three and a half years. You know, he's going to be Holton Aylers. He's going to be steady. And then you got to build your team around him, you know, to continue to take the next step. But Mason Garcia, if he ever hits his full upside, could be a, a you know a scary good quarterback at East Carolina. And and really, a lot of this offseason for the coaching staff is getting Mason Garcia ready to be the guy after Ehlers is done this coming season. But then also Stubblefield, man, you don't sleep on this guy. I don't care if he doesn't look anything like Garcia. He may be five nine and a half, five ten, but he can spin it. He can throw the crap out of it. And he's mobile. I really love Stubblefield. He plays the game of swag. He's always gotten the offense. He played in a similar offense in high school. So 
I feel really good about those two quarterbacks behind Holden Aylers right now based off what I'm hearing. And Alex Flynn's always going to be your steady, steady backup as well. And I think if they ever needed him to go into the game and operate things, he could do that. He's just not getting as much work right now as the other three guys. Number three, the biggest takeaway on the defensive side of the ball for me is just how comfortable everyone looks, the continuity of it. So for me, it's just the third year of the Blake Carroll era on the defensive side of the ball. This group has come so far since Bob Trout was coaching them in year one. I remember being out of practice, and every little detail, it seemed like the coaches were having to go over and over and over in review of stuff, and it just, it was painful. It, it, it was painful because you could tell the players weren't getting it. For whatever reason, there seemed to be kind of a disconnect with the defensive coordinator and the rest of the team. But ever since Blake Carroll got here, you know, the, the thing I continue to hear is that he just relates to his players so well, and he makes it so simple, even though they do a ton. It's, it's far from a simple defense, but for whatever reason, he is able to simplify it for his guys. He must teach it in a really, um, a really thoughtful approach that relates well to his players. And just being out there, I mean, I'm so used to seeing bust in terms of coverage, guys not being in the right spot, guys missing tackles. And it just feels like that rarely happens not practice or in these scrimmages. And yeah, you're going to have one every now and then when you get into a game because the guys are going to see something they haven't practiced. But these guys are, are so often in the right position. You know, they're in, even when they don't make the play, they're contesting the ball in the air, they're filling the hole, uh, they're, they're making the tackles in the open field more times than not. You know, this defensive staff is in a great job of recruiting speed and tackling ability. And that's shored up a lot of the holes in the past that we've seen from this defense. So I expect this unit to take another step forward. I, I, I really do. We talked about the defensive line depth. Um, you know, even without Jaquan McMillan, I feel good about Malik Fleming on one side. And then I think Demel Hickman and Jawan Powell between those two guys will be a, a solid starter on the other side. You know, safety, I feel really good about with Tegan Wilk, Julius Wood, um, you know, Sean Dorsell coming back as well. Jaira Wilson can play there. You got Gerard Stringer and Wilson in the in the slot at nickel. You know, the inside linebacker position, Xavier Smith, Miles Berry, both back with experience. Xavier looked really comfortable this spring. Miles played well towards the end of the year, and I think he's looking comfortable this spring. Taylor Jackson, Jacoby Simpson are coming along behind them at inside linebacker. So I, I just don't think you have a real weakness on this defense. I do want to see more consistent play. I didn't sign a linebacker from day one to the end of the season, and, and the whole of Jaquan McMillan will be a legitimate question mark. But as a unit, as a collective group, this uh, th- this defense is playing at a high level, and they're making things really tough for the offense. They, the offense has to execute at an extremely high level to move the ball down the field uh, against Blake Carroll's unit. So those are the three big things that are standing out to me. Again, halfway through spring practice, uh, the trenches, the backup quarterback position, and the defensive continuity. I know there's going to be a lot of questions about how's the receiver position looking, uh, you know, as far as things like that because of the obvious. You know, we'll dive more into that as spring comes to an end. You know, I think there will be uh, another addition via the transfer portal, at least one addition, and we'll start to hear some more names. But Josiah Hatfield continues to make plays at practice. Tajay Hudson, Tyler Savage also starting to make plays. And Kerry King, another young receiver, former walk-on, who's got a chance to, to play a lot this year as well. So, those are three big things, along with some some receiver notes, because I know that, as always, that is a popular topic uh, among Pirate fans. 
All right, let's dive into some baseball talk here as we flip the page. Again, four and one week for the Pirates on the diamond. They improved to 14 and 11. Bittersweet not getting the sweep for sure, you know, but we have to remember VCU came in on an eight game winning streak. Yes, they had not been playing great competition, but they were playing hot. Uh, they did not want to get swept. Unfortunately, ECU, I feel like, kind of took their foot off the gas pedal a little bit offensively in the middle innings today, and it came back to bite them. The other thing is the bullpen has been so good. It's just tough to continue to rely on the same guys. And, you know, no matter how good you are in any sport, you're going to have off days. And, unfortunately, this was an off day for Garrett Saylor. You know, Carter Spivey has been used four times in the past five games. He looked a little fatigued the last few outings. And so Cliff Galvin said after the game, they've got to get more guys in that bullpen involved with consistent habits and consistent production. Because we've seen it in the past, you can't rely on the same two to three guys all year long. So that's something they'll have to continue to um, to go through, to work through as conference play hits. Now I've gotten some questions. Does ECU need to win the conference tournament to make the postseason? Can ECU still host a regional? I just want to set kind of the, the the lay of the land as ECU heads into conference play. Again, they are 14-11 and 11 overall, 25 games into the season. After today's loss to Virginia Commonwealth, ECU sits at 65 in the RPI. And this is about the time the RPI becomes, at least starts to become a viable metric. It's still, you could still jump a lot, fall a lot based on what you do because things are so topsy-turvy. For example, ECU rose nine spots this week. The Pirates, the thing going for them, despite their just three games over a 500 record, is their strength of schedule. ECU is 48th in America in the strength of schedule department, and I think by the end of the year, they'll be in an even better place because some of these teams like VCU, um, you know, like Bryant, like some of the, these weekend series, St. Mary's, I think the more they win in conference play, as long as they take care of business, the better their RPI will be. Um, and, you know, as long as they take care of business in their conference as expected, I think that ECU's strength of schedule will go up as those teams' RPIs will improve the more wins they get, even if they're playing weaker competition. Um, East Carolina, as it stands right now, if you go to warrennolan.com, they're the highest RPI team in the American Athletic Conference. This is despite Tulane having, say, a 16-8-1 record. They're only 90 in the RPI the thing that hurts ECU is they're not going to have too many great opportunities for major marquee wins in conference play. So they're going to have to take advantage of some of these midweek games like an NC State on Tuesday, like when they play UNCW again, uh, when they play Duke again. So there are going to be some big opportunities in the midweek, and then you also got to take care of your, your business in conference play. I think you're going to have to probably finish top three at least in the American and then probably have a good run in the tournament, barring a regular season championship to get an at-large bid. You know, as far as hosting, you know, ECU would have to go on a major tear at this point to even have a shot at hosting. Again, 65 in the RPI, you really need a top 20 RPI to kind of be in that discussion. And ECU doesn't really have a marquee series win at this point, which also hurts it, even though they did play well in the Keith LeClaire Classic, which I think will boost their RPI all year as Maryland and Michigan both have good RPIs, and Indiana State will have a good RPI as well. They're 75 right now as it stands currently. If you look at Warren Nolan's predicted RPI, which this thing is kind of all over the place, they predict ECU to go 32-24, and 24, 
you know, which I, I think ECU will finish better than that. They had the Pirates going only 13 and 11 in AAC play. Based on their metrics, if ECU just goes 32 and 24 and 13 and 11, that would finish ECU with a 49 overall RPI, trailing Tulane at 46, Houston at 47. So even if ECU, I would say, underachieves in conference play, 13 and 11, probably not enough to get in that large bid for sure. You know, you at least need to be top 40, and you're going to have to be better than 13 to 11 in conference. But that would basically put them on the cusp. So I think if you're East Carolina and you finish with 35 or 36 to 38 wins, I think you feel really good about getting in that large because I think that will put your RPI more in the top 40 range. That'll have you towards the top third of the American Athletic Conference. So there's still a ton to play for. This team has still not played his best baseball. There were several encouraging signs this week, which we'll get into here in a bit. But another big week coming up. Every game is going to be crucial for ECU from here on out as they uh, take on NC State on Tuesday, then at Cincinnati, and then follow that against Old Dominion, which is a ranked opponent. So you got uh, in-state rival, conference series opener on the road, and it's historically a tough place to play for ECU, and then Old Dominion, which is a ranked foe on Tuesday. So a crucial five-game stretch coming up. They're all big at this point for East Carolina. But I thought that one of the biggest things to take away from this week on the diamond was what we saw earlier today. I'm recording this on Sunday night. Josh Gross, uh, we've talked about it. He's always had the potential to kind of be a front-line guy. And I say always had. I mean, this is only his second year in the program. But – I think today was the first time we've really seen Groves pitch almost to the best of his ability. He was pumping his fastball in the zone. You know, some of his secondary stuff was inconsistent. But when you're throwing and filling up the zone at 92 to 95, you know, 94 miles an hour consistently, and you've got to change up, you've got to break them ball, you know, VCU just could not square anything up. And the wind was blowing in, so he did a great job of attacking the zone with uh, three different pitches. And I think... For sure that that is a major thing for ECU to build off of because you were starting to say, say to yourself, hey, Josh Groves clearly has good stuff, but the starting rotation thing, for whatever reason, similar to Garrett Saylor, similar to the Carter Spivey in the past, it's just not working. Should we maybe move him in the bullpen? But at some point, you have to have another starter step up. You know, we know about the Carson Wisenhunt situation. He's not going to be back all year. You lose your frontline guy. You know, Nick Logish and Saylor have not worked out as starters to this point. And so that's three starters essentially down that you were kind of counting on going into the year. Sailor, of course, has been a major boon to the bullpen. Logos still, I think, kind of finding that consistency right now. But Josh Groves was another name we heard in the preseason. He dealt with arm soreness. Took some time to come back. I think he's now starting to find that groove. Hopefully this is a sign of things to come. Not that he's going to go six shutout innings every game going forward. But just his ability to, to pound the zone, pitch deep into the game, you know, ECU needs a viable second starter option. I don't know if Ryder Giles is going to be that guy come, you know, throughout conference play. I think you can use him almost as an opener, you know, Tampa Bay Ray style, get three to four innings, throw a team's timing off, and then go to the bullpen. But I don't think he's going to be a guy that's going six to seven innings throughout conference play. So you need somebody to follow Jake Kuchmaner. Groves, as we saw today, can be that guy when he's on. If he can consistently do that, 
all of a sudden you have two viable starters. And in conference play, most teams only have two starters. And then the third day is often a bullpen day. And if you're ECU with your bullpen performing the way it has at the start of the season, I think you take that uh, based on what we know right now. So certainly you would like to add or have a third guy emerge at some point. But just getting Kucherander and Groves going first and foremost would be a major, major um, news item for this for this pitching staff going into conference play. You just need some length at some point. The other major positive from this week was Josh Moylan. I mean, he was squaring the ball up and hit the ball with power, and it's easy power. And that's why so many scouts love him. That's why he, you know, even through the struggles, you have to leave him in the lineup because when he starts, when he starts barreling the ball up, and he barreled the ball up today to center, the wind was just blowing in, so you know it showed nothing, even though he had another quality at bat. You know, it, it he he has a chance to carry this offense if he gets going really hot, and he certainly has a chance to be a powerful bat, a scary bat in the middle of your lineup. So great to get Josh Moylan going. You know, took that break during the Charleston series to clear his head. I think he was three for thirty-five at that point, or something crazy. Clearly, it had kind of gotten to him mentally. You know, it's a, it's a tough game, and it was challenging him. But good to see him come back because he's a guy that ECU. You know, I, I don't want to say lean on at this point, but they definitely need to contribute heavily going down the stretch, not to continue to put pressure on, on Josh, but it's just the reality of the situation that he's probably their most talented bat on the team, and the Pirates need him to be at his best more times than not if this if this Pirates club wants to go where it wants to get to. Um, so those were two major positives for me. Two of your more talented guys, Groves and Moylan, kind of playing to their ability. You know, there are still things this team has to do better. Again, more relievers need to emerge. Uh, they got to play more consistent baseball, good baseball when it comes to bunting and running the bases. We know that's a big part of the Cliff Godwin era, but if they're going to do it, they have to execute it more times than not. They can't. This offense just isn't good enough to continue to give away outs. So they were better at that this week, and that's why we saw a four and one record as opposed to last week's one and three record. So some quick baseball thoughts there. ECU takes the weekend set against VCU again, NC State on Tuesday. Uh, and then some quick thoughts before we head to our interview with Pirate Backer. Um, I want to share some quick thoughts on our initial in-person interview with new men's basketball coach Mike Schwartz. Had a couple articles up this week on uh, that interview. He met one-on-one with the media. Uh, actually went one-on-one with pretty much every media outlet in Greenville uh, on Thursday. And it was a great opportunity to get to know Coach Schwartz for a few minutes. And, you know, just really got a great vibe from talking with Coach Schwartz. I think he's not only excited to be here, obviously, his first head coaching job, but, you know, I get the feeling that it's not going to take long for him to implement his, his imprint on the program. He seems to have a clear vision. He's already putting together the, the most, you know, the majority of his staff from what I've heard. Things are still being finalized there. But he's not like a first-time head coach that's coming in here scrambling. He seems to have a clear vision, clear identity for the program. He wants to hang the hat on defense. Uh, he, he's honest in the interviews. You know, he's not going to blow sunshine up everybody's butts. He's saying that, look, it's going to be hard. It's not going to happen overnight. And he's not promising that all these players on the roster, like Tristan Newton, Brandon Suggs, are going to be back. He's He realizes that, you know, you can't make those promises because the reality is, Mike Schwartz doesn't really know Tristan Newton at this point. They're still getting to know each other. He's still getting to know the other guys on the roster. 
and he's still diving into what he has. So it's going to take time to kind of sort through what exactly he needs, who's coming back, who's going, who's potentially asked to move on, what guys are he bringing in. So really fascinated to follow the basketball front for the next several weeks. But right now, we don't have a ton of information as, as things are still fluid. We know that Mike Schwartz will be in Chicago on Tuesday to watch a 2022 high school point guard that uh, actually reached out to him earlier today. We are discussing that on our ECU basketball thread on Hoist the Colors, ECU basketball recruiting thread, so check that out. And so he's clearly hitting the recruiting trail, doing some stuff there already uh, to continue to stockpile talent for the future and build his roster. So just some brief thoughts there. On the start of the Mike Schwartz era now that he is in Greenville with Tennessee out of the tournament. All right, let's go to break real quick. On the other side, we will welcome in Pirate Backer into our Port of Call segment. You are listening to the Hoist of Colors podcast. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, welcome back into the Hoist the Colors podcast. It's one of our new segments on the HTC podcast, and we're going to call it the Port of Call. It is our poster introduction segment where we welcome in members of the HTC community into the podcast, kind of get an informal discussion going with them, introduce them, because you guys all, most of you guys that listen to the podcast post on the forum, and I just want to introduce you guys to each other and, and to myself as much as possible and to continue to grow this community. Excited about our next guest. He is known on the board as Pirate Backer. He's one of many favorites posters, uh, favorite poster. And uh, Pirate Backer, welcome into the podcast. I know you're a big fan of, of Hoist the Colors, what we do, and I know a lot of people are big fans of you as well. Hey, thanks for having me on, Stephen. I'm a huge fan of the podcast, so just honored to be here and talk Pirate Athletics with you. Yeah, no, I'm excited to get you on, man. We'll we'll start first, right? So you're you're a former uh, high school football coach. A lot of people know you, you're X's and O's guy. So we'll start first. Do you want to share your real name? Uh, and if you do, what is it? I guess we'll start there. Absolutely. I have nothing to hide. Uh, Jason Tyndall. Um, so, yeah, also known as Pirate Backer. Yeah, Pirate Backer, and the meaning behind the HTC username. It might be pretty self-explanatory, but uh, what's the meaning behind it? So it's funny I, I, when you when you when we were talking about this before the show. Um, the, the name Pirate Backer actually was originated from backing the the football program in the athletic department. Um, now my background was as a player. I did play um, linebacker in high school and in college. But when I was thinking of my name, I thought, how can I say I'm here to support the program and, and Pirate Backer just popped in my mind. 
Yeah, it kind of has a double meaning there, which is, uh, I think, very, very unique. Um, it, when you found Hoist the Colors, do you remember kind of when you when you first stumbled upon it or, or what you, uh, you know, what led you to that? Absolutely. So it had to be, I was looking, I was working, looking at the other site and I really wasn't a big fan of just the format and layout. And so I just stumbled across uh, 24 seven and it just immediately was like, okay, this makes sense. It's easier to consume. And the, the content that was provided was just first class. So, you know, credit to what you do for us. Well, I appreciate that, man. And uh, before we go through some more questions, I want to talk to you about your your background in football. You were a high school coach. Obviously, you know a lot about it. Let's, let's start first at you know the high school level. What got you into high school coaching? Where did you coach? And um, are you still involved with that at all in any way? Yeah, so um, I grew up in a family. My, my father was a coach and an athletic administrator for over 40 years in North Carolina. And from day one, I wanted to be a coach. Um, so... Um, when, when, when things went sideways when, in college football, I've started actually coaching at Farmville Central High School under legendary coach Dixon Sauls in the early 90s. And um, so from there, I went to uh, Millbrook High School, to Leesville High School, to Apex High School, which is where I'm from originally, to Sanderson High School. And then I finished up at Wilmington Ashley High School. Uh, 10 or 11 or 12 years ago now, and I've been out of coaching since in, in, in a completely different field of, of technology sales. Do you miss the camaraderie of coaching or the X's and O's, or do you get your feel of that just watching and you know following the Pirates, uh, following the program? I, I do miss it. I miss, I miss the relationships. That's the most important thing. You know, Stephen, it's funny when I, when I, stepped away from coaching. I came back to Wake County Public Schools and I had to sit through an orientation and I sat there with a, a legal pad and I wrote down 119 things I would do different if I was ever a football coach again at high school level. Wow. So the relationships were number one. I do miss the X's and O's. I do still keep up with that to some degree, but not like uh, Brett and other guys that post on here who are active in the, in the sport now. How much do you enjoy kind of sharing that side of it? I mean, obviously, like you said, you, you and Brett, Brett Hickman, who's the head coach at West Brunswick, y'all will kind of bounce ideas off each other. We've got, you know, Bobby Harward, who's a former assistant at ECU. He was doing some high school coaching for a little bit. He posts every now and then. Uh, Nova Pirates, kind of an X's and O's guy. So we got like a handful of guys who post on the board that kind of have a knowledge of the game. How much do you enjoy just those discussions on the site and kind of maybe diving into it more than, than what the average fan might know? Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it's good to give folks insight into what's really happening behind the game. Um, again, I'm behind, I'm a little bit, I'm 10 or 11, 12 years behind right now where Brett and those guys are, but, um, helping understand the why and the what is happening on the field or, or in game planning or in structure of defense coverages, et cetera, is, is really something I still enjoy. Um, I'm a little bit annoying probably to the people who sit around me during the game because I start looking at the I look at the game from the back end of the defense on forward to the personnel groupings that are on the field and then where the ball position is and start talking to the people around me uh, about what's coming. You know, you can tell what's happening um, at pre-snap really and and with the motions and things like that. So it, it, it's it's fun to stay on top of it and it's fun to help give uh, insight. But at, at the same time, I, I do not want to come across as a, a know-it-all or a kind of egotistical or annoying to to the posters on the board or fans around me and things like that. So a lot of times I just keep my mouth closed when, when, when necessary. 
Hey, but I, I think you do a great job of finding that balance. I mean, you, you, and you're obviously a supporter uh, of East Carolina, East Carolina athletics, and so you keep a level head, unlike a lot of people. Uh, so, <laughs> so you do a good job with that. All right, let's dive into some of these uh, hoist the colors questions. Speaking of level heads and and some who don't keep a level head, we'll go with our uh, your favorite poster on hoist the colors to read. Last week we had Butner Pirate on. He said you were one of his. Uh, who who are among your favorite posters, if any? So I really enjoy everybody's perspective. I'm a, I'm a glasses half or three quarters full guy. So I, I love looking at different perspectives, but like Nova, Tick, Berg, uh, Tarboro, um, Eason, Pirate Rep, Buckwild, Aunt Richardson. Uh, a lot of those folks seem to have just really informative posts or, or keep a positive spin on things when, when, you know, at times when others might be jumping into a dark hole. Speaking of dark hole, any uh, any least favorite posters, if you're willing to call them out? Well, I'll just say I'm not sure who Chocolate Thunder is, <laughs> but I, I love I love the name, but uh, I, I'm not sure what's going on there. And you know, nobody really in general. I just I, you know, at times I'll just ignore posts when they get really negative and critical because you know none of us really know. I mean, you're closer to it probably than anybody else now, Stephen. How the sausage is made now and what all goes in behind the scenes. And um, my background allows me to pause sometimes, I believe, and just take a deep breath and go, all right, that, there's, there's, there's reasons why things are happening, decisions are made, and we're not privy to all the details. Yeah, for sure. And I, I try to shed light on that, obviously, especially for our VIP members, but there are times that even I'm not privy to a lot of information. And so we all kind of have to take a step back and definitely uh, try to evaluate things as fairly as possible. All right, what you know? Your favorite ECU sports topic to discuss? I, I imagine is football. Um, you know, whether it be recruiting or just following the program. What, what are what are kind of your favorite topics to discuss? So, any anytime I see VIP on the post, I know it's going to be good stuff, right? And, and obviously, pirate footballs is we a lot of us ble- became bleeding pirates because of the football experience. Um, all the inside stuff that you can provide about, you know, even if it's something as simple as injury updates and things like that, or, Hey, we're, we're not seeing the production out of this player or this person's starting to step up. They're developing their body, you know, the information from big John that you get sometimes is stuff like that, that I really enjoy because it, it lays the foundation for the culture of what's happening um, and getting our program back to where we all want it to be and where it's headed. So it's, you know, anytime, like I said, any, any football stuff and, I really, really, really would like to see our, our basketball uh, program step up as well. So um, all that information with the new coach, Coach Schwartz, coming in is uh, entertaining for me. Yeah, definitely looking forward to, to working with Coach Schwartz and getting to know him for sure. Um, we are visiting with Pirate Backer, also known as Jason Tindall. Has a background in coaching and one of our uh, favorite posters on Hoist the Colors. All right, how did you become an ECU fan, ECU supporter? How did you start following the program? Well, the, what land? how I landed in Greenville at East Carolina is a long story. It could be in its own podcast, and it's really interesting. And um, when I came to school here after being at Appalachian State as a football player, and, and again, like I said, we won't really dive into all that, but I, I fell in love with the people of the university. Um, so, so many of my professors impacted me and this, the, the general vibe of, uh, East Carolina compared to the other schools that I attended. Um, and just, just Saturdays in, in Greenville on um, game day, it, it's just, it's something that it's electric, you know, it, it, 
I, I cannot wait till next year on Labor Day weekend. It's, it's already in the air, you know. We, we've talked a little bit in the past, whether through private message or what, about kind of uh, how unique the the App State game was for you last year. Not to get in all of that, but what was that experience like when ECU was playing App State uh, to open last season? Um, so it, it's funny. A lot of my teammates from Appalachian, uh, it was all good and good taste and good fun and good humor. A lot of ribbing through uh, Instagram messaging and text, and I ran into some of them pregame. Uh, and uh, it, it, you know, everything was it was all it was just like the game itself is you know highly contested. But it, the it was it was easy. I was a hundred percent pulling for East Carolina. There, anybody who knows me knows that my allegiance is one hundred percent plus for East Carolina through and through. There's no. You know, I don't I don't go around pulling for Appalachian State. I pull for my former teammates who are coaches like Scott Siderfield and Sean Elliott, Georgia State's coach and Louisville's coach. They were teammates and roommates of mine there. So I, I pull for them. But as far as when ECU and App plays, there's no doubt for where my loyalty lies. Well, the Pirates will have a chance to get them back, I think, in a, another year or two. So there, there's more ahead. You know, I think ECU's program is will eventually get to a point where uh, it's a much better matchup on the field, especially the way things trended last year. All right, your favorite ECU athlete of all time. Uh, we had Scott on the show last week. He had a trouble narrowing it down to, to just one. Uh, can you narrow it down to one? If not, do you have a group of, of favorite ECU athletes of all time? Yeah, so going back to the theme of, of lighting up Dowdy Ficklin on a Saturday, I, I think about our, our athletes who, when that ball hit their hands or was in their hands, there's a chance for it to you know, set the crowd off. And you go back to uh, Deion Johnson's of the Peach Bowl team, um, Keith Stokes. Now we've got one in Keaton Mitchell. Um, and then I've all, I was always a big fan of Luke Fisher and obviously Jeff Blake, uh, Jerry J. Dog Dillon and Robert Jones and all those unsung heroes on that Peach Bowl defense. And then um, in, in college, uh, I, I was really good friends with a lot of the O-linemen at the time. And the gentleman I was probably closest to was Shane McPherson. He was just a blue collar offensive guard from, from Cartersville, Georgia. And I just enjoyed pulling for him because once I was not able to play anymore, you know, I enjoyed having that interaction with him and all the teammates and things like that. Um, but and I've got a golden doodle named after Shane Carden, so there, there's some loyalty there. I, I thought Shane did a really good job representing the university in the football program when he was playing quarterback for us. Yeah, Shane is uh, he's one of a kind. Actually, when I was at ECU as a student and started hoisting colors, he was in the same graduating class with me. So I got to know him really well, still stay in touch with him to this day. So awesome dude. And you bring up Keith Stokes. I feel like he is like one of the more underrated ECU playmakers of all time, man. Cause growing up watching him, whenever he touched the ball, he was just, I mean, he was electric. I mean, that, that's the only way you could describe him, but uh, let's, we got, we got a few minutes for just some random ECU talk. So I just want to get your thoughts on the program now as you know, we've, we talked about this, and we talked about it through the first three years of the Mike Houston era. There was going to be a lot of pain during this rebuilding process, but finally this program has kind of reached a point where I think we all kind of envisioned it. Just, you know, from your perspective, how have you seen this program grow under Coach Houston kind of following along uh, from the outside? Yeah, it's it's a great conversation. There's one we have a lot of uh, tailgates. I remember meeting Bub up in Navy, and we talked about this for a little bit um, this past season, but – if you look at how coach Houston's building the program from the inside out, it, there's no doubt that there's a, there's a culture in the locker room. Some of the decisions he's made with personnel, even as far as early, uh, as recently as this spring with the receiver, it's no longer with us right now. And hopefully he makes it back, but he, he has 
built a locker room um, from the trenches to the outside. And, and he's got, we've got a lot of depth uh, at positions. I mean, for, for years there, if somebody went down with an injury, you know, we're all just holding our breath that we don't get our brains beat in because it's the opponents going to attack that position or vice versa. And um, I, I really feel like he's got a winning culture. The fact that we're able to run the football now, as a former coach, when it, an offense can just line up and run the ball at you, it is a pain in the butt to prepare for and to stop them. And that's going to open up a lot of stuff uh, with Ryan Jones and Shane Calhoun and the young man who transferred from Georgia and hopefully Josiah gets in, in, in flight for us. But it, it's just a it, it's just a tough, tough culture. And when I look at our football team, we look tough now. And that that's a reflection of Coach Houston and his staff. Um, I, I, like I said, I cannot wait for the season. I was so disappointed when the bowl game was canceled because I really thought we were going to go up there and wear Boston College out. And that was going to be a, a fun time in Annapolis that night. I know to, talking with people in the program, they were pretty confident. And, you know, maybe it's easy to say this after they canceled the game, but they were pretty confident they were going to beat Boston College pretty good just based on what they felt going into the game. Unfortunately, we'll never know. But uh, at least, uh, we, you know, it gave us something to talk about for, for some of the offseason any big spots you're watching this offseason, Jason, as far as, uh, you know, the program going forward? Like, we all know – I think we all expect this team to make a bowl game in, in 2022, or at least that should be the, the expectation. Uh, what do you really keep an eye on as far as roster development, key spots for this team to maybe compete for a potential AAC crown? Uh, offensive line. It starts there. Um, if they continue – if Coach Shank continues to work his magic – and we continue to build depth and we're able to allow those guys to stick around in the program and build themselves up in the weight room with John. Also, uh, you know, it, the, the elephant in the room right now is to, can we get production, that consistent production at the wideouts? Um, I, I do know Coach Kirkpatrick. Um, he, he's, he's a smart guy. He knows a lot of football that a lot of posters don't, don't want to believe that. I believe they'll get really creative with what they do with their tight ends and their Y, y position, you know, their H back, Y, you know, move Ryan Jones around, create Mitch Mashes there. And the other piece, Stephen, that really is intriguing to me is what happens with our inside linebackers. Um, can we become even more consistent there and build on some of the momentum from last year and make sure that we've just got the best 11 on the field all the time? He is Pirate Backer, a.k.a. Jason. And, Jason, this has been fun, man. And I, I feel like we could have a full podcast talking about your background and just talking about football in general. I told Scott last week we're going to have to get him on for NCAA baseball talk. We'll have to get you on just for football talk as we get closer to the season, man. But this has been fun. Thank you for having me, and um, go Pirates. Absolutely. That is Pirate Backer, and that will do it for the show. Thank you guys for listening to the Hoist Colors podcast. We will talk with you next time.
Should you ever set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan.